This is a Founding Media podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Great Society, a podcast about people who are working to elevate the voices of others. I'm your host, Constance Dykusen. My guests today are Zane and Amal Wildman of Ubuntu Life. Ubuntu Life is a nonprofit business that uses the power of global commerce to create social impact for children and their mothers in Kenya. We chatted about what makes a nonprofit business moving from family to team and their new line of chocolate. And now, here's my conversation with Zane and Amal. I'm really excited to talk to you today because Zane, you're somebody I'd known in the nonprofit space for a long time, but you've taken a nonprofit and moved kind of into the nonprofit business world. So I want to hear about that. Can you take me back to when you first started your nonprofit? Um, Well, I first started all this, I guess it was 18 years ago. Wow. Dating myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I was was finishing university and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I was asking myself three questions. Um, One was, what do I believe in? Um, I'd heard a lot about God and grew up in Texas and the Bible Belt. But I was like, okay, these are different belief systems that I've inherited, but who am I and what do I believe in? Um, The second was, I'd always said I wanted to help people. Um, So I was supposed to go to medical school. And the reason I had been telling people why I was going to go to medical school is because I want to help people, but I never actually helped anybody. Mm -hmm. And so the second question was, what would it feel like um, to help people and just focus on that? And would I enjoy it or am I full of shit? I don't actually really like to help people. Um, And then the third question, which came out kind of nowhere, was who, who would I be if you dropped me in the middle of nowhere? Like, am I who I am because of my family's expectations, of societal expectations, um, of friends' expectations, um, or, uh, you know, am I intrinsically living that, this person that I, uh, that I am? And if I drop me in the middle of Africa, would I keep being that person? So That's a scary question. It is a scary really question. Like <laughs> to ask and to try to well, answer. Well, it is. If you're yeah. given full freedom to just be you know, your ideal self, like what would that be like Um, if you removed all expectations? And so those three questions were rattling around in my head um, my senior year of college. And I decided I'm going to go figure it out. I had Mm -hmm. no intention of starting a nonprofit. I had no interest in ever going to Africa. Um, It just ended up being Africa Mm -hmm. and specifically to Kenya. And, And while I was there, I met Jeremiah, who was running an orphanage of 140 kids um, he was also a local pastor in one of the local churches, um, married and had three kids of his own. He's earning $50 a month. Yeah. Um, and we just struck a relationship. Um, and he really introduced me to Kenya. He introduced me to what it's like to grow up in poverty. He got his first pair of shoes when he was 15 years old um, and had just a really you know crazy childhood story. Um, and so these two unlikely guys, I grew up in middle-class Texas, Jeremiah grew up poverty in Kenya, um, became really good friends and we would have lunch every Thursday and we did that for over a year. And those conversations led to us starting a nonprofit. 
And that was come for the children, right? Yeah. And we so we went through a few different brand changes. Yeah. <laughs> um, we all do. We all do that personally yeah. and with our organizations. Um, so what what did you do in the beginning? Like, how what kind of needs did you want to meet, or what did you see as a need? Or it was you know it was interesting because it's all been very organic. Um, the nonprofit space. There was no social enterprise. There's no no such thing as a social entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Eighteen years ago, I mean, people were doing that, but no, there's not that title. And so um, I didn't have this idea. I was still figuring those questions out. Mm-hmm. And so, and Jeremiah was figuring out what he was going to do with his life too. Um, he actually got a scholarship um, to come to the States to get a bachelor's degree. And so both of us were just kind of like, okay, well, the immediate need, um, or let me step one step back. Our lunches, the theme that kept coming to the surface around mm-hmm. our lunches about trying to do something in Kenya together was that the people in this community are just as eager and, hung- and hungry to take ownership and change their lives. Mm-hmm. They just lack the opportunity to be empowered to do something about it. So mm-hmm. those two words, opportunity and empowerment, we kept coming back to. And so then it became, okay, we know people need to be empowered. We can do that groundwork relationally. We had already been doing that for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are going to be the opportunities that we'll create? So we started at the orphanage because that's where Jeremiah was. And we started with a, a trade school. Mm-hmm. So they had had computers and sewing machines donated to the to this, uh, orphanage, but they didn't have a facility for it. Um, so that was step one. We ended up building. We brought a team of nine people over. We mm-hmm. spent, we were there for two months. We lived at the orphanage. There was no, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no running water. There was no electricity. We did bucket showers. It was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was step one. And then step two was we went back the next year. Um, we started visiting the homes of some of these kids because mm-hmm. um, some of the kids started coming from outside the community, not just in the orphanage. And then that's and have when you we, always worked. Sorry. Have you always worked in the Masai Mara? Uh, it's, it's just it's um, it's just west or okay. just east of the Masai Mara. It's in a town called Mai Mai Hu. OK, uh, but it's on the it's on the route to the Masai Mara. Um, and so, yeah, we've one of the things that early on that we identified was one of the areas where development goes wrong is that people develop a model and mm-hmm. they take that model and they go a mile wide to replicate it. Mm-hmm. And they try to do it in a, a Western style, like let's build our numbers and let's build the schools, let's build the hospitals, whatever that mm-hmm. model is, and let's go as far wide as we can. The The repercussion of that is you only go an inch deep. Mm-hmm. And so you don't establish relationships of trust with the local community. Things start to break down. Um, you have issues with administration at the school or the hospital, mm-hmm. and then finances become an issue because you never took the time to slow down and go deep. Mm-hmm. And so we said, whatever we're going to do, we're going to go a mile deep and an inch wide. So we're going to stay committed to these communities mm-hmm. and learn with the little money that we had. And if this thing starts to work and we start to get more money, then we can think about going two inches wide, three mm-hmm. inches wide. But we're always going to stay really committed to Kenya and specifically this community until the demand takes us outside of the community. And so so that's how we went. Um, we started with the with the trade school. Then we started working um, in healthcare because we had some doctors back here who wanted to get involved and it was an immediate issue at the orphanage mm-hmm. and at the school were um, just health related issues. Um, and then we got connected to special needs kids um, and about four years after we started everything. And that became that became it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, okay, we're going to really, this is a, an insanely un, underserved community, um, probably the most forgotten uh, community 
Uh, if you go anywhere in Africa mm-hmm. and the developing countries, like people with special needs are, they're seen as outcasts. There's a lot of religious stigma around, around mm-hmm. them, um, especially the women who birth them. Um, they're seen as committing some horrific sin. And so mm-hmm. God's punishing them. Um, and that's why they gave birth to this child. The, the husband typically blames the wife. Um, and so this is all this insane learning experience for, for myself and for Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it hit on these issues. Like, do I like to help people? Um, who is God? What do I believe about God? Um, and who the hell am I? And mm-hmm. those questions started to get answered just as I started to connect with this community in particular, the special needs community. Um, and so that's how Comfort the Children started. Then we kind of started rebranding to CTC. Then the mothers of those special needs kiddos came to us about a year into running the school. And they said, we'd like to have a job now mm-hmm. that you're taking care of our kids five days a week. I was like, that's amazing. Because I was also really tired of raising money. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I was Perfect. like, yeah, and I was like, maybe we could create some way where um, you could earn a living and that will free up, you know, that will free us up of the full burden of raising money, um, but also give these women something constructive to do. Again, an opportunity to be mm-hmm. empowered. And and they said they wanted to they wanted to sew. I was like, fantastic. Yeah, I was like, fanta- I was like, fantastic. <laughs> Which I was like, you were an expert yeah, at, I'm of course. Expert, <laughs> yeah. seamstress. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I was like, perfect. Like, who knows how to sew? And none of the women knew how to sew, but they loved the idea of learning how to sew. And so crazy story, which is Ubuntu is full of them, like right place, right time. We got partnered with this group called the American Sewing Guild. They, sent they sound team. like they know how yeah, to they, sew. They yeah, they do. <laughs> they do know how to sew. Yeah. Uh, and they, they led three teams in a row. They mm-hmm. taught our original nine moms how to sew. We had uh, treadle uh, singer sewing machines and the women would start in like this one area of, of the room and they would end up on the other end of the room because they didn't know how to sew and so like moving this machine along. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but then it was like, wow, this is so cool. It's giving them this sense of purpose. They're building, uh, connections amongst themselves. Um, we were making a, just a tiny bit of money, but even for a nonprofit earning any money, I mean, mm-hmm. most of it's all donations. And so that became kind of a light bulb moment for me. If we could tap into a larger marketplace, mm-hmm. you know, what could we really do on a on a larger scale? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when, you know, we partnered with Whole Foods Market um, and that became our first big account. And that changed everything. Um, exciting. Yeah. So as that was going, as that process was kind of starting up and you're starting to maybe transition more into income and things like that, did your relationship with your donors change or how did you manage that? Kind of keeping them still engaged, but saying, yeah. hey, we're earning money now, but we also, did you still need their money? Or We definitely did, and we still do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you're tuning in as a donor, please continue. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but it was, it was uh, you know, as a nonprofit, you're continually growing, mm-hmm. and, you know, the process of learning how to make product takes time, takes mm-hmm. a lot of money. So even though we were making money, we we're burning a lot more money too. Mm-hmm. Um, we're building new buildings; those cost money. Um, but it was confusing to donors uh, in the beginning, because, and even sometimes to this day, I mean, even because, now a little bit. Yeah, because people are like, we don't we don't brand ourselves as a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You know, most nonprofits it looks and feels and tastes like a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, and we've worked really hard on, we went from CTC to Ubuntu to look and feel more like a business, Mm -hmm. um, and have that brand. 
And so, you know, educating our donors to come along for the journey um, was instrumental. And, you know, now, you know, we're 50% earned revenue. That's awesome. Um, nonprofit. That's and great. so 50% donations. And so it's great for our donors. And now it's more of a, a marketing tool and an advantage to us. And we speak to donors because for every dollar that they donate, we make a dollar. That's great. As opposed to that dollar just going and burning straight into operations. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, so, Amal, can you talk to me a little bit about how you came on, what made you believe in the mission and what was going on and your role at Ubuntu? Um, I think for me... It was, you know, the first time I went to Kenya, of course, you know, you you fall in love with it. And it's an incredibly special place. And the spirits of, of Kenyans and especially our maker moms is pretty powerful. Um, the second trip was, I think, when I kind of got broken white, broke wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, the relationship that I started feeling with the moms was that my word meant something to them mm-hmm. and they were relying on me and that that was the shift and that was yeah. the change and then I came back and you know my background was in fashion and um event production fashion production and have a large network and I was like you know I should be I can channel all of this into my future and my family and so when we got married Talk to Zane about it. A little cautious. Mm-hmm. How are you working I was together? Reluctant. I was reluctant too. You know, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I have like a you know family background where it's like you do your thing. Mm-hmm. You know, keep it separate. Keep it separate. Okay. Oh, I come from opposite. Yeah, yeah, Pakistani family where it's like all all keep all, all like together. twenty four seven. Fall asleep together if you if you can. Yeah, and it was it was a challenge. I mean, it was a challenge in all the right ways. It was just like I love we love spending time together, mm-hmm. and I love that she was fired up about Ubuntu as opposed to just being my thing mm-hmm. and and my story with Jeremiah and the moms and the kiddos. And I was like, okay, how does this become like she wanted to like she and she's there was a definite gap in mm-hmm. Ubuntu on the product side. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it didn't elevating. hurt that a professional background sounds to be totally relevant. Totally. <laughs> and it's helped you yeah. move into where you're going. Yeah. 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 And it's, that was a big shift too. It's just like seeing, you know, Whole Foods wonderful, incredible, you know, partner. It's like we can we can take this further. You mm-hmm. know, we have dog collars and free people now. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. You know, local, you know, they're sold at by George now, Sunroom. And mm-hmm. so it's like, bring it on. Yeah. You know, let's take this even further, one step further. That was one of my questions is how do you how do you think about product development? And does it change for a nonprofit business? Like can you just kind of do you go to the market and see what people want? Do you go to your makers and see what they can make? Like how do you develop a product? Yeah, you know, it's it's well, it's amazing now that the moms are making shoes. It's yeah. almost like they can make anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, started with a coffee sleeve and now they're making you know, espadrilles, which yeah. is pretty phenomenal. But I think it's a little bit of both. You know, the Maasai, the beading is so beautiful mm-hmm. and so particular to Kenya. Mm-hmm. And so we do a lot of hand beading and we use majority as much as we can, I think, um, East African, yeah, so Kenyan. As, as locally as we can. Uh, materials. That's so and we have an incredible design team in, in Kenya. So. That's beautiful. And so tell me about what you brought me today. I'm very excited about this. We have um, Ubuntu branded chocolate now. Yes. So tell me how that tell me how that happens. So this is this is an example of like what we do, you know, really well, mm-hmm. which is 
Um, you know, definitely, I think it's just intuitive to Jeremiah and me to want to, like we, we know our lives are bound to another, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we're always looking at, you know, just intuitively, like, how can this be a Mm win-win opportunity? Um, whether it's with the kiddos or the moms are also business, potentially business partners. So Gudio is a chocolate brand, um, out of Helsinki and I got connected with these guys and they were like, Hey, we've done environmental sustainability within our company, but we've never done social give back. Um, we love what Ubuntu is about. We'd love to do something with you guys. And I was like, cool. Um, you know, we're happy to take a donation, but maybe there's a way we could actually do something brand wise like in a product and they're like, Oh gosh, you know, what ideas do you have? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, do you have a coffee chocolate? And they're like, yeah, it doesn't sell out well, but we do have a coffee chocolate. And I said, well, we have a coffee, you know, with whole foods called mm-hmm. cafe Ubuntu. Would you be up to like, check out, check it out, make a batch of chocolate, see how it tastes. And they're like, dude, that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that'd be cool. Cause you're buying coffee from us. Um, and then we could work on a project that you could make donations of every bar that sold. And I can try to get you guys into Whole Foods. And we're like, dude, that's a win. Yeah. And so it happened. Yeah. yeah. So like if you look on it, I'm going to open up your chocolate. Okay. okay. <laughs> Don't eat it, though. Yeah, it's like, Well, okay. this is still sealed. Uh-huh. So, um, but then on the inside, mm-hmm. it says, you know, whether it's a pound, a euro or a dollar, 50 cents goes to empower women and serve children with special needs in my Mayu, Kenya. And then it has some stats and it actually has an image of the cafe. Oh, that's great. I love that. In Kenya. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, it's been a really like a win, win, win. It's a win for our partners mm-hmm. at Whole Foods. It's a win for us. It's a win for Gudio. Yeah. And obviously it's a win for the moms and the kiddos. And yeah. it tastes great. Yeah. So it seems like we're at that moment where so many brands are kind of looking for um, relevance in the social impact space. Yeah. So like, it seems like you're be able to offer that to brands. Do you have any advice on how to leverage those relationships with brands or in the fashion industry, perhaps? Um, I mean, I think um, authenticity mm-hmm. pops in my mind at, at front, you know, because there is this rush to do good. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of smoke and mirrors about what kind of good are you really doing? I talk about like a transparent good mm-hmm. or a sustainable good. Um and then the other is, I think for the nonprofits, we typically, just by nature, and I was this way too in the beginning, uh, typically win-lose, like donate, mm-hmm. you know, versus win-win. How can you creatively think about a way that this can be mutually beneficial? Mm-hmm. Um, and because and, that then you get momentum through something that's mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. How is your relationship with your, I would call them clients, I'm not sure. I know you say maker moms too. Yeah. Um, but how has your relationship with them changed when it goes from like offering their kids daycare or maybe, I don't know if you ever provided them with like direct monetary assistance, but like from them now being your employees or being co-creators of your brand, like how has that relationship shifted? Mm, family to team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to speak on that? We'll go for it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were just talking about this on the way over yeah. that, you know, a, a typical, like a smaller nonprofit, you run like a family. It's all built on love. Mm-hmm. You bleed the mission. Um, you're very passionately serving one another. Um, but then when, as you start to integrate business, you need biz- business and, you know, efficiencies and mm-hmm. effectiveness and responsibilities and accountability. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we did is we slowed down. And it was a difficult few years for Ubuntu because that meant our sales were slowing down. Um, but the idea was slow down so you can go faster. Mm-hmm. And so we slowed down. We did a lot of culture work. We spent a ton of time, you know, with the moms. We did retreats with our Kenya team. Mm-hmm. We read uh, books together on, um, you know, just building a team or also other businesses that we respect and admire like Patagonia or Whole Foods with Conscious Capitalism. 
Uh, we read Shoe Dog, you know, mm-hmm. the founding of Nike as we were doing shoes. Yeah. And all this gave us, you know, language about how to scale. Mm-hmm. And so that transition from being a family where you're born into a family and even if you suck as a family member, <laughs> you're still family, <laughs> right? But like if you transition then to a corporation, then it's all about the bottom line mm-hmm. and it's like hit your numbers or you're gone. So we are more in uh, this like in between space, not a corporation, not a family. What are we? And it's like we're a team, mm-hmm. you know, and if you step onto a soccer field and I pass the ball over to the position you're supposed to be in and you're not there, it's like, okay, there's a level of accountability, responsibility you yeah. have to be in that position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was really helpful for our for our family to make that transition because mm-hmm. everybody understands that need to be a team. And there's yeah. still that love. Mm-hmm. So what I say now is we, we have, as a nonprofit business, we're the heart of a nonprofit and compassionate, mm-hmm. but then we're the mind and muscle of a business. Mm-hmm. Are there some people that like you, you couldn't work with anymore or didn't want to transition into that way? Because I've had that happen to me and it's always really hard to have to Completely. stop working mm-hmm. with people. Completely. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Yeah. And what I what I encourage other nonprofits, you know, listening is like set your KPIs, your key performance indicators, um, create a format of quarterly check ins, have your team uh, be a part of the process of f- forming your budget mm-hmm. for the year, have them understand their numbers, their costs, um, the burn rate, you know, what those expectations of what they're supposed to be bringing in every quarter and check in with them. And if you're doing that and you have these regular check-ins, you have this infrastructure, if someone's not the right fit, mm-hmm. they will walk themselves to the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't really have to fire anyone. They fire mm-hmm. themselves. And then it's apparent to your team that that person needs to go. Yeah. So like when we had to let some of our moms go, some of our maker moms go, the other maker moms are like, please get them out of here. You know, it, was <laughs> it, was like, a team, it was a team decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, it, and it helps everybody. It's this yeah. level, it's this pl- it's level playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're all practicing together. We all see who is not showing up. Mm-hmm. So it's up to the, the leadership to set a structure mm-hmm. and place that, you know, where we get into a flow and you re- easily recognize when someone's not mm-hmm. in that flow. Um, one of my favorite Instagram moments of the last year was when y'all brought your Maasai Maker moms uh, to Austin yeah. <laughs> for the for <laughs> the Austin City Limits Music Festival. Yeah. That was my um, high of 18 for sure. <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about how how I guess how they how they perceived Austin and maybe what you learned about Austin from bringing them here? Oh man, go back and forth on that one. Yeah, think? I mean, I think their biggest takeaway was how kind everyone was and receiving of them. I mean, we would be stopped at HEB and, Mm -hmm. you know, no one would take pictures, but they wanted to just come and hug them Mm -hmm. and say hi. Where are you from? That was... (laughs) Texas style. Where are you from? (laughs) And it was... And that was beautiful. And the other thing that they noticed um, was that older people, the biggest takeaway for them was that older people really enjoy themselves here, Mm -hmm. which... um, they loved. Yeah. But, yeah. We're yeah. out. We took them like broken spoke and just seeing all these older people out there dancing and two-stepping mm-hmm. and, you know, it was like they they, they got on the dance floor. Did they yeah. do the jumping or did they two-step? Did they, they, t- oh, they no, two-step? We, we, they had cowboys come up and dance with them. That's it adorable. was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were definitely the first Maasai ever at Broken Spoke. <laughs> you think yeah. so? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another another thing that was interesting, I mean, we know this about ourselves, but the first thing that they noticed is that everybody is in a hurry to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Everyone looks very busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was something that we 
you and I really talked about that and have been really intentional mm-hmm. about, you know, chilling out on the phone. And mm-hmm. we have pretty good rules about that already, but not not have that sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was really cool because, you know, we live it every day. Mm-hmm. We're in it. And they were the appreciation, you know, it's like looking looking at life through like a kid's lens. Mm-hmm. And it was very much it was very much that. And it was beautiful. It was funny, like the, the shit talking from the first night, like, you know, we go you go to Kenya or Thailand, you go to these foreign countries mm-hmm. and you have like a host family or mm-hmm. and it's like they put food on the table and you're like, Oh my God, what part of the animal is that? You know, or like and then they come here and they're like, "What is that?" Yeah, oh, and you're like, "It's a taco." We took, we took them to Mati's, <laughs> and we got chips. We got chips. We got chips and salsa, queso and guac. And they're like, this one of the Masai ladies, Jacqueline. She's like, picks up the chip and like I'm showing her how they to like dip it. The chip. And she's like, "Well, at first Jacqueline was like, what the hell is this?'" I go, "Absolutely not. Like I don't like goat. I go up. To, I go to y'all's place and I have to eat goat. I was like, you're you damn eat eating Tex-Mex. You're gonna like it. That's so <laughs> and they crush chocolate milk. They oh, crushed chocolate they milk. They did find some favorites. They had never, they had never had and guacamole. Milk. That's yeah. good. They ended up. Yeah, some things are universal. Like, I've had good guacamole in Kenya. Yeah, so yeah. you know, there yeah. you go. That was um, one of the things. I mean, I know this about the Maasai, but one of the most amazing moments for me uh, was just this playful, playful time where it was like, no longer are we a company, no longer are we the boss, and and you know they're our maker moms. It was just like we were all kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we stayed at my dad's house out in Westlake, and it was just bigger for everybody. My dad was out of town, and we all stayed in the same house together. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like what seven of us for. Three weeks for for a month. Oh, that's a long, that's a long time. Oh, my, the the respect okay. I had for any parents. For families making yeah. breakfast. Right. We were making we were like yeah. up early making breakfast for everybody. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And these maker moms incredible. can throw down some food. Um, barbecue. But, but yeah, we took them to County Line and did the they, whole barbecue. They were loving it. County Line took uh, us heaven. into the back pit and like showed the whole roasting process. Wow. It was like yeah, it was. They're going to open one. You're going to get there in Kenya, and they're going to be like having their pits yeah. open and. But the the moment for me, it was like this playful, um, Was it was a nice day, and they wanted to get in the pool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, get in the pool. <laughs> and they were worried about their hair. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have like any hair nets or anything. So Amal did saran wrap on their heads. <laughs> And and they they get into the water and I they're like freaking out and I'm like I don't know and then they they explain to us you know they use I mean I know water is scarce there but I didn't realize just to the degree you know they use three liters on average of water to bathe per person um, a week wow and I was like oh my god you know no wonder you're taking thirty minute showers every day um, when you're in Texas mm-hmm. and then they had never felt water like immersed. Mm. Wow. So like when they were, when they first got into the pool, you can imagine me, Nancy is like 70 years old, mm-hmm. you know, our lead beater and seeing, you know, just them immerse themselves in water and that feel what that must <laughs> yeah. feel like. Yeah. That's incredible. It's insane. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. And then Beatrice, Beatrice took like 45 minute showers every, every day, day. Mm-hmm. which was pretty every amazing. Day. Go Beatrice. Yeah. Go I know. Beatrice. Own it. Her, her <laughs> inner diva came out for sure. Yeah. Um, So for people listening that maybe were like you um, when you were an undergrad, like asking these questions, wanting to do big things, um, what what advice would you give them? Uh, Maybe they want to do something far away. Maybe they want to do something locally. But do you have any advice for people looking to get involved in in a nonprofit business or in the social justice space? Mm. You want to go first and I'll? Yeah, you know, I would just say for me, you know, this is all relatively new, but listen, Mm -hmm. you know, that 
that trip in Kenya, you know, there was so much happening inside of me and, you know, the fear of leaving a career that I've had for, you know, 10 plus years and working with my husband, mm -hmm. you know, it was all, you know, it's real. I'm so thankful I did. Take yeah, the time to listen. I think listen's huge. Uh, that'd be my number one too. Uh, we so often, because we're so fast paced, we, you know, jump in, um, for me, that first year that I lived in, in Africa and lived in Kenya, I mean, this was before cell phones. This is before um, social media, mm -hmm. before blogs. I just got a Hotmail account like right before I went. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was there, I was forced to listen. Um, and so I would say listen is key, you know, of like what, what really resonates with you, like asking those questions. And mm -hmm. then I would say experiment after you've listened, like try some things like go before you start. Think, on, think about taking on your own thing, which is mm -hmm. really difficult. Like go join up with somebody or a few people who are doing something that interests you and, and get a taste for that. Because mm -hmm. I definitely did that. And that was huge. Like just being in Africa, being in Kenya. And then the third, which I did not do well and I'm doing much better now is focus. So mm -hmm. I say, listen, experiment, and you know, check things out and then focus. Like if you can do one thing really well, uh, you'll be light years ahead of, of other people. That's mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. So this is my last question. And I ask everybody this, um, how do you define success for yourself or for Ubuntu life? Like, do you, how do you evaluate or measure? Is it product? Is it how many maker moms you're able to hire? Is it, um, a feeling? Is it more esoteric? Like what is, mm -hmm. how do you define success? All, all of it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like all of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a social, as a social business and nonprofit business, like you're constantly looking at, you know, your burn rate, you know, you know, how much income revenue you're bringing in at the same time, you're looking at impact mm -hmm. metrics for your kids. Um, you're looking at how people just are enjoying, you know, the culture of the company, you know, so I think you're always weighing those. But when you're saying that the one word that popped in my head, which I think is kind of in this space, especially if you're committed to good, if you're not having fun, mm. you're mm -hmm. not successful. How so? I just think like, you know, uh, I mean, this is like the work of helping people and especially like loving one another mm -hmm. to do a good for the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, I love what you do. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not having fun more times than not, I mean, like, believe me, Ubuntu has sucked on days and <laughs> weeks and even I've had, we've had years where mm -hmm. it's been really, really hard. But when I show up at, with the maker moms, when I'm having a, a Tusker beer with Jeremiah back in Kenya, when mm -hmm. I'm brainstorming with Amul about, you know, products we're going to release, like that's all really fun. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, we're always having fun. We're creating, we're loving one another. And it's like that to me is like the ultimate success. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And I appreciate your approach and I appreciate um, all that you've done with your products and with that message. So thanks very much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Sense. And thank you for yeah. the chocolate. Everybody you go bet. get your Cafe Ubuntu chocolate. Yeah. And so. as a vegetarian, it's oh. vegan. Wow. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you all very much. Thank you. you. Thanks. Bye. See ya. To get your own pair of Afrodrills or to learn more about their work, go to ubuntu.life. That's U-B-U-N-T-U dot L-I-F-E. Or follow them on Instagram at ubuntu.life. We'll put the links in the show notes. The Great Society team includes me, Constance Dyhusen, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you to everyone at Founding Media for your support. 
Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Or maybe leave us a review on iTunes to help other folks find the show. Thanks for listening.